You're listening to the Charter Nation Podcast. This is the Charter Nation Podcast. You're listening to the Charter Nation Podcast. Brought to you by the California Charter Schools Association. Hey everyone, welcome to the Charter Nation Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Tentakoulis. If this is your first time tuning in, thanks for listening and make sure you hit that subscribe button and tell your friends. And for those who've been following us, thank you so much for making season one such a success. Uh, We're going to mix a few things up this season two, but we're also keeping a lot of the things you've grown to love exactly the same. Case in point, our Change Makers segment. This is when CCSA's president and CEO, Mirna Castrojon, sits down with the movers and shakers in public education and public opinion to get their thoughts on high-priority issues right now. Her first guest is Mike Madrid. He's one of the most well-known political analysts in California. He'll tell us about the power of the Latino voting bloc when it comes to public education and support for charter schools. Then later, we debut a new segment called My View From Here, which is kind of like a commentary set to music. Debbie Vini of the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools tells us what she thinks is the most important way to describe charter public schools. And then hang with us for the entire episode because we round things out with a little bit of a field trip to Sacramento, where we spend time at the only charter public school in California offering language classes in Punjabi. But first, let's kick things off with some charter school news. This month, Governor Gavin Newsom released his proposed budget for the coming year. The state faces its first projected budget deficit in 10 years. What does that mean for charters? For that, let's turn to Colin Miller, Vice President of Government Affairs at CCSA. Of course, the big question, is this budget proposal good or bad for charters? Well, it's a it's a bit of a mixed bag, but I think given the deficit situation that the state's facing, this is a really good budget for education. The biggest news here is that there's a 8.13% cost of living increase to all base funding, including the local control funding formula and a number of separate programs that, that operate in the state. So that's a good chunk of money for schools, for very flexible funding and uh, uses that they have to operate their, their programs. Given that, that we have almost $25 billion deficit, um, being able to invest in that is, is really, really uh, great news. Um, Colin, tell us a little bit more about some other aspects of this proposal as it relates to charters. The um, the other key pieces in the budget for charter schools include uh, an additional $30 million plus the COLA for the charter school facility grant program. Um, the other big investment, the, the one big new program within the budget is an equity multiplier within the local control funding formula. And this provides a supplemental grant to school sites to address the needs of their most high-need students. The details of that proposal have not been released yet. We're not exactly sure, but we will certainly keep a tabs on that as the budget process continues. That was Colin Miller, Vice President of Government Affairs at the California Charter Schools Association. Now, time for Changemakers. Changemakers. 
Changemakers is our ongoing interview series featuring influential charter school leaders and allies across the ideological spectrum in California. CCSA's leader, Mirna Castrojon, sits down with these personalities to get their take on issues in public education. This month, our changemaker is Mike Madrid. He'll offer his thoughts about the power of the Latino voting bloc when it comes to education. Here's Mirna Castrojon with this Changemakers interview. Please join me by welcoming Mike Madrid, partner at Grassroots Lab, a full-service public relations firm specializing in community engagement and coalition building. And, full disclosure, CCSA has partnered with Grassroots Lab for a few of our very own and very successful campaigns. Mike is a veteran communications expert and nationally recognized analyst on Latino voting trends. He has worked on numerous political campaigns in California, and we are lucky to have him today. Mike, welcome to Changemakers. Myrna, I'm so excited to, to be with you. It's always nice to be introduced as a veteran because it really means old. There are a few, few battle-worn scars here in some history. So I'm looking forward to sharing those in the discussion with you today. Well, let's get started. It's a new year. California now has a brand new slate of elected officials in Sacramento. Our CCSA annual survey finds that the majority of Latino voters, in particular Spanish-speaking Latino parents, support charters. Why do you think that we Latinos have such favorable opinion of charter public schools? Well, I think in a word, it's opportunity, right? And it's choices. It's, It's providing people with the opportunity to do better, to be better. That's literally the the, the, the mission and the focus of, of the immigrant broadly, generally, not just Latinos, but but all immigrants. The, the idea that you uproot your life, that you bring your family, you bring your children and you take a risk uh, with the chance to have an opportunity to do better is, is, is the American ideal. That's our whole mythology. And so schools become that entry point, right? The public education system in its various forms is about creating the first pathway to opportunity. It's why you see so many, again, not just Latinos, but, but, but immigrants of all different backgrounds making those sacrifices to provide whatever it is they can provide for their children to make life better. And that, that sense of optimism, you look at a lot of these polls, Myrna, and what you realize is the most optimistic groups in California, curiously, tend to be the, the younger. Optimism is a function of youth, but often poor people and the more recently migrated and that sounds a little bit contradictory, but when you kind of step back, you're like, that's not contradictory at all. That's literally the whole point. Um, the immigrant community is an optimistic community. If you're not optimistic, you don't leave. You don't migrate. You don't come Absolutely. Here. And that's one of the beauties of, of the immigrant community. And I think it's one of the opportunities for charter schools. And I think it's one of the opportunities for the states to kind of get back on track and reinvigorate ourselves, reinvigorate our own culture as a, as a golden state and reinvigorate, I think, our political system, which has gotten kind of calcified over the past few decades and maybe isn't performing as well as it should be. I couldn't agree with you more. I certainly resonate with that. I came to this country at the age of 17, believing that I was coming to and for something better. Um, What do you think legislators should take away from these polling numbers that we started uh, our conversation with around broad support for charter schools among Latinos? Well, the first is, is again, I think as a policymaker, uh, there's no other way to look at this than to say this is a community that is looking for something different. I think it's much better to look at it aspirationally and sometimes to put your feet literally in, in the shoes of the immigrant who's like a lot of the schools that they're finding, they may, they may be 
poor performing than we than we may have a standard for, but oftentimes are better than the schools that they came from. And so the negativity isn't isn't resonant. It doesn't stick. It's not relatable. It's like, wait a second, what are you talking about? And that's the way policymakers should be looking at this, is they need to be looking at the, the growing Latino electorate, which is younger, which is poor, which is more recently migrated than the rest of California, and saying, how can we fulfill the aspirations of this growing part of our community in order to benefit the state, let alone the community itself, let alone the fact that it's morally right to do? And the answer is the public school system providing options and opportunities in the K-12 system. To me, it's just, it's such a moral misgiving to have California with the most advanced economy in the world, unable to meet the highly qualified workforce needs that it has when we are not educating our own children to a standard to fill those jobs. We literally have to import highly educated folks from around the world to fill the digital economy jobs that we are growing in leaps and bounds when we're also producing people who aren't at reading level in California, in our own schools, with our own people. Like it's, it's beyond comprehension that that's, under, that's acceptable. And to try to force a certain system to get outcomes that for decades now has not been getting us what we need as a policymaker, you can't look at that any other way than say, this doesn't work. And it doesn't mean that the system as it exists doesn't work. It means that without a broader array of options, it doesn't work. Why would you not want more? Why would you not want alternatives in a world and in a society where you can order a hundred different pizzas on a hundred different apps made a hundred different ways? <laughs> we have one way of educating children like that's just it's, it's nonsensical. It doesn't make sense. When it comes to education, people say, oh, it's the third ranked most important thing on a national level, like based on national polling. Right. They'd be willing yeah. to cross partisan lines if education were more prioritized. From your perspective, Mike, how can charters in California do a better job at communicating our place in public education to Californians, to voting Californians, as we enter our, our, our fourth decade of reimagining public education? The first thing that can be done, and I think the most effective thing that can be done, is to resist the urge and the temptation to begin the discussion as a bilateral choice, because it's not. And one of the things that I would strongly urge people to do is to understand the language of the opposite side, of the, of the other side, is the aims of what they're trying to argue and suggest really is an argument about uh, an equalization, right? It's a civil rights issue. It's a civil rights measure. This is the writings of Lincoln. We're talking about the public education system and how it could be a great equalizer, which takes me to the second point, talking about the health and the broadening of the public education system as a solution for democracy. It's really central that we don't just talk about it in terms of, you know, this school versus that school or this way versus that way, but rather broaden the discussion to the 30,000 foot level to say, this is essentially antithetical to who we are as a country. It's antithetical to what we are all saying about opportunity and e equality and aspiration and rights. Every one of those ideals, those American ideals that we hold true are threatened when we limit the ability for charter schools to be another option. 
Um, that's the way that we ought to be talking about, about the charter school movement, about, about education generally, about public commitment to our children and the next generation, and perhaps most importantly, aspirationally to who we are as an American people. Mike, we, we are wrapping up. What are the top three things that you think uh, charter leaders should be doing to make sure that we amplify our impact? Well, the first and foremost, and you said this really well, um, stress the sense of urgency is there's an urgency that is required now. We are beginning to see things we have never seen in California before. Um, generational poverty. That, that Generational poverty was not ever a California problem. That was a problem of the deep South. That was a problem of Appalachia. That was a problem in areas where there were systems literally designed to keep people from, 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 from getting a better life. We're seeing that in California now with Latinos. Mm-hmm. Second, third generation poverty. That is, a, that is an indictment on the system. So urgency is actually the first thing that you need to do. The second, of course, and I'm a huge believer in this, it's the coalition building. People in the civil rights community, it's people in the business community, people who have an economic need, for example, for a better workforce, They're natural allies. There are people in the civil rights struggle who need to recognize that by remedying the educational challenge, so much about representation and systemic social problems goes away. And so it's recognizing that the broader the coalition that can be built here, the more effective that your uh, movement is going to be. And again, I think, I think because of the nature of this new legislature, it's important that I think there be a stronger presence district by district with newer members. There's a record number of new legislators, I think 30 new legislators, which is unheard of. And so I'm going to say urgency. I'm going to say coalition work. And I'm going to say the in-person advocacy. If charter schools do all of those things, those three things as a part of the repertoire, I think you're going to see significant advancements um, because of where California is going for better, for worse. And I'm very optimistic about our chances uh, going forward. Mike, thank you so much for being a guest on Changemakers. Mike Madrid is a communications expert and a nationally recognized analyst on Latino voting trends. He's a partner at Grassroots Lab, a full-service public relations firm specializing in community engagement, online organizing, coalition building, and a friend of the charter movement. I'm Mirna Castrejon, president and CEO of the California Charter Schools Association, and you've been listening to Changemakers on the Charter Nation podcast. You're listening to the Charter Nation podcast. I'm Anna Tentakoulis, your host of the Charter Nation podcast. Thanks for listening. National School Choice Week is this month, a time when the charter school movement across the country celebrates a parent's freedom to select the best educational option for their child. One of the most vocal cheerleaders of School Choice Week is Debbie Vini. She's the Senior Vice President of Communications and Marketing for the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools. In our new segment called My View From Here, Debbie says the absolute best word to use when describing a charter school is the word public, charter public school. Here's her My View From Here perspective. We've actually done an amazing job over the past 10 to 15 years of branding the charter sector as being high performing. So Time after time, um, no matter how we're gathering the information through like focus groups or surveys, people are always pretty clear that charter schools are great schools and we really don't get a lot of debate about that. 
So we've been doing a fantastic job on that. The area that we really do need to continue growing with is making sure that everyone understands their public schools. People get a little fuzzy around the idea that these are actually public schools. One out of every two people in the United States still cannot accurately tell you what a charter school is. And even if you look at the people who can tell you what charter schools are, a number of them are our opponents and they are deliberately spewing misinformation and disinformation. So we also know that the more that people understand who we are, who we serve, what we do, the more they love us, they absolutely love it. And so the same thing that keeps me up at night, which is that people don't understand what charter schools are, is the thing that gives me a lot of hope because they just don't understand what charter schools are. And I know that when they understand, it completely shifts their sentiment. And I've been thrilled with how we've been able to make a lot of progress in a number of markets. I mean, California is one of them. You guys are awesome partners with us in that work. We were able to move public sentiment like 20 percentage points on, um, on charter schools simply by making sure that audiences understood that they're public schools. You know, we've started to just put little descriptors behind that, that these are unique public schools or that they're, you know, a special type of public school. Always like honing in on that public school part of it. Um, being thoughtful about making sure that the actual people on the ground are those who are out front and talking about the benefits of charter schools and what it means to them in their, in their families. I think that elected officials coming into their positions in January need to remember who sent them there. You know, I've heard some really interesting stats about younger parents, the, the Generation Z parents who are coming of age and they're very vocal, they're very politically savvy, and they will make their voices known. They want more options for their kids. They don't want to be restrained. They want people to trust them to make good decisions because they're smart. And they might not be education experts, but they know a good school when they see one. And they know a not so good school when they see one too. And you know, they certainly see education as a gateway to maintaining equity and building it in our country. And they'll demand that of their elected officials. I am more inspired and hopeful than I think I have ever been about charter schools. And there are people who would have us believe that the wind is in our face. It's not true, it's actually at our backs. We have never had so much support. I really believe that there was a silver lining that came from the pandemic. I see parents demanding much more of that and understanding that that they can demand it, they can ask for more, and they can get that. That was Debbie Vini with our first My View From Here perspective. Debbie is with the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools. You're listening to the Charter Nation podcast. This is the Charter Nation podcast. I'm your host, Anna Tentakoulis. In the last segment with Debbie Vini, young moms and dads, also known as Gen Z parents, are much more politically savvy and vocal than parents were in the past. And when it comes to education, they're not afraid to demand changes. And that's what happened in the case of Sacramento Valley Charter School. The campus is located west of the city of Sacramento in an area where a growing number of families with ties to India and Pakistan live. About 12 years ago, 
a group of business leaders and parents in this area joined forces to open a high-quality charter school offering language classes in Punjabi. Now, before we move on, here are some quick world facts for you. Punjab is a state in India. The Punjabi language is spoken in certain regions of India and Pakistan, but really all across the state of Punjab. It's also one of the most widely spoken languages in the world. Dr. Amrik Singh is principal of Sac Valley Charter, or SVC for short, which now serves more than 250 students. He says just like any other bilingual program, kids benefit in so many ways when learning to speak Punjabi as a second language. If they learn one more language, it helps them develop emotionally, intellectually, and personally. Dr. Singh says it also sharpens their thinking skills. It's a mental exercise that uh, you know helps them in their speech and phonemic awareness, vocabulary. Vocabulary development uh, also happens, uh, you know, side by side. That's fifth grader Anurit Kaur reading Punjabi from an assignment in class. The students here attend a 45-minute Punjabi class every day beginning in kindergarten. Most of them are Punjabi, so they fall under the broad ethnic umbrella of being Asian American Pacific Islander, or AAPI. Now, I bet you didn't know, but California is home to the largest AAPI population in the country. And when it comes to charter public schools, roughly 337,000 AAPI students attend our schools. At CCSA, we wanted to know which of those charter schools are really pushing the needle when it comes to academic excellence among its AAPI students. Sacramento Valley Charter School topped the list. It gives us a lot of energy. That's Amarit Niger, one of two full-time Punjabi language instructors at the school. He believes the language program is helping students perform better in all their classes, and he works hard to make sure his instruction aligns with the state's common core standards. Like problem solving, divergent thinking, critical thinking, and they are also more like culturally uh, responsive. They, these are the cognitive benefits of uh, being bilingual. Amarjeet says most students come to this school with little or no formal Punjabi language instruction, which is why he starts with the basics. Punjabi subject, it has uh, different sounds, like there is a nganga, adada, and anya. It's hard to pronounce. But when kids, they uh, learn how to pronounce these uh, challenging alphabets, this helps them uh, in uh, their speech therapy also. Students like 11-year-old Hanur Kaur says her vocabulary in both Punjabi and English improved once she started going to the school. And now she enjoys finally being able to communicate with her relatives in India. So most of them don't speak English. So it's like easy for me to translate. And my grandparents, they're here. It's easy for me to translate for them too. Hanur also likes helping other students who might be struggling a bit in class. Fifth 
fifth grader Liam Reynas practices his Punjabi. He's one of a few students who has no ties to India or Pakistan. Instead, Liam's parents chose Sac Valley Charter a couple years ago because they were frustrated that all the traditional public school options were simply located too far away. And gas prices were still rising then, so it was just too far in the school, so it was just a lot easier. And so now Liam gets to stay in his neighborhood and learn the unique language of Punjabi. Yeah, it's not extremely hard, but you know, it's still at a certain level of difficulty to it. And students here say they're up for the challenge. Amrit Nijar, the Punjabi language instructor, says he's thrilled when his kindergartners start putting sounds together. So when they are in kindergarten, there's no problem for them. They just uh, grasp this language quickly. It's not hard language. It's very simple and very polite language. We'd like to thank all the students and staff at Sacramento Valley Charter School for helping us tell their story. If you'd like to learn more about the school, check out its website at sacvalleycharter.org. And that's a wrap for our first episode of season two on the Charter Nation podcast. Be sure to tune in next month when we honor Black History Month with a special episode. Our changemaker will be Dr. Helen V. Griffith, the executive director of the Price School at UC San Diego. She's been working to grow a new generation of Black scholars as head of that charter public school. I see hope. I see brilliance. I see the opportunity for this next generation to really solve some problems that we have not been able to solve. And just a quick podcast side note, the Charter Nation podcast drops its monthly episode on the second Thursday of every month. So make sure you subscribe so you can tune in throughout the year. I'm Anna Tentakulis, host of the Charter Nation podcast. Thanks so much for listening.